With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Wednesday, October 28th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Well, Hoynesy, uh, anybody who... Anybody in the, the Baseball Writers Association of America who voted for Kevin Cash for Manager of the Year <laughs> is lucky and thanking their stars that the, uh, the votes only count for games played in the regular season uh, because last night in Game 6 of the World Series, he pretty much opened himself up to as much criticism as you, I think you're ever going to see a manager take uh, for, for one pitching change in a game. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a move, Joe. I mean – I was sitting there. I was sitting there. I was cringing when when that when they made when he made that move. I said, you know, I like Cash. He's a good guy. You know, knew him. Uh, you talked to him a lot when he was in Cleveland as a bullpen coach. And I said, I hope this reliever gets through, and th- and then to replace him with Anderson, who's been terrible in the postseason. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's given up runs in seven straight appearances. I mean, he, he was very, very, he's been, he's a, he was great in the 60 game sprint, great in 2019, but he's been struggling and it, it came back to bite him. And uh, I was, my kid, one of my boys texted me last night. He was, he couldn't believe Cash made the, made the move. He said, he's getting lit up on Twitter. And, and I uh, said, it wasn't just on Twitter. He's going to have to live with this. The only way you get rid of this is to win a world series. And, you know, to manage a team that to, to take your net, maybe next year's team to the World Series and win it. But moves like that, you know, they, they stay t- they stay hooked to you like, a, you know, like a barnacle. You, you, you don't get rid of those moves. Well, and, and what does this do for, let's say, a Blake Snell? I mean, Blake Snell could not hide his obvious uh, disappointment with that move when he got to the dugout. Uh, as, as you would expect, he – he was emotional. He was full Trevor Bauer in the, uh, in, in the dugout. You know, he could not contain his emotions about being pulled out in that game. And afterwards, he, he said some things that, you know, maybe you don't say if it's not game six of the World Series. Uh, but how does that, what does this do to, this is a former Cy Young winner in, in Tampa. What does this do to his relationship with the Rays? What does this do for, you know, cash? And if, if, if I'm a, a free agent starting pitcher, I'm not even – thinking about going to to Tampa Bay I mean I'm not going to get out of the fifth inning with this guy if, even if I'm even if I'm showing success the guy had a, a what a two hitter going 
and at, at that point. Uh, yeah. I just not to not even give the guy a chance to talk his way out of the move to not even give Snell a chance to try to convince you, Hey, I've got this. Uh, that that's the part that, that sort of bugs me, not the decision to remove him because the analytics show third time through and all, and all of that there, you've got a sound reason to do it, but there's the emotional side of it. You've got to let the guy, you got to give the guy a chance to talk his way out of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, you know, I, I don't think Snell should have been surprised, Joe. I mean, if you look at if you look at his regular season, he had 11 starts. He never made it. He never pitched six full innings. You know, they they lifted him every time. And you know, Game Two of the World Series, the same thing happened. He had four scoreless innings, eight strikeouts. Now he ran into a little more problems than uh, um, in the fifth inning. I think, yeah, in the fifth inning in Game Two. Uh, he gave up a bunch of run, you know. He gave up four four straight base runners. Then they hooked him, but uh, but but still, I mean, sometimes sometimes you got to manage a little bit with your gut, don't you? Right. In that situation, I, I, and I was thinking, does Terry Francona make that move? I that's a, that's a very. I, I think Terry Francona actually might talk to the pitcher beforehand. I think he might let the guy try to convince him if. If Corey Kluber sees Terry Francona coming out to get him in that same situation in, uh, you know, game three, four, five of, of the World Series, I think if Corey Kluber gives him a look and starts talking to him, I think Tito talks to him, at least. Look, I've got to take you out. No, Skip, i got to stay in. I, I think that conversation happens. But with Cash, I don't think that happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, Cat, you know, Cash kind of is a disciple of Francona's. I mean, they, you know, and uh, God, I, I, it's just such a, you know, and, and it is, and like you said, you know, the, there's, the stats are there, this, the, the numbers are there. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, I, I remember when, uh, you know, covering Mike Hargrove when he managed the Indians in the World Series. There was a game early, early in that run when they, made, they were making the postseason every year. And he kind of changed his tactics. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from the regular season to the postseason, he left the pitcher out there, I thought, one inning too long. And uh, everybody jumped on him for that, for changing, you know, for letting the postseason kind of change the way you managed. Right. And uh, right. so, you know, I, I always kind of remember that, you know, to, uh, you know, so it, so I don't know, you know, maybe Cash, you know, didn't want to, you know, just, completely you know re put it in reverse and changes thinking there right i mean there's something to be said for if you've done it this way to get you to this point the whole time then if you if you change then you open yourself up to as much criticism so if he doesn't go at least go out there to say i'm going to make this change then he opens himself up to criticism why well normally kevin cash would have gone out there in the after the first base hit in the sixth yeah. inning but but I think, like you said, there's there's a feel situation there. Um, the, the the question that we asked is, did Kevin Cash set the analytics movement in baseball back, you know, in, by a by by 20 years by doing this? Do other coaches, managers, organizations see what happened in Game Six and say, well, we're not going to manage games strictly by the numbers anymore? Uh, does like you brought up, uh, you know, Dusty Baker? Does do old school coaches now 
does the, the pendulum sh sh shift back to them? Do they now get more of an opportunity to get managerial positions because of, uh, you know, their, their reliance on gut feelings rather than what the, the analytics tell them? Uh, that's the question we posed to our subtext readers. Let me, uh, let me read through a few of them and I'll get your response to it as well. Uh, a couple of guys chimed in. Uh, I would have left him in, says a guy from the 407 area code. Uh, Dan in University Heights says, taking Blake out is not what cost the Rays the game. The fact that they only scored one run is why they lost. Uh, another reader says, I ride with Snell. Uh, another guy said, Cash seems to prefer a lot of parts in motion. That preference caught up with him. Uh, here's two more, and we'll, we'll, we'll jump back to Hoinsey here. Uh, Cash is a good guy who had a bad night. He's very proud of his stable and got overly confident. Uh, like another inning with a red-hot Snell would have killed them. He, he should have checked with Snell first, shown a little respect. They may have lost anyways, but he could have given him that chance. We're all human. So that's uh, just some of what the respondents on uh, subtext said. Uh, Hoinsey, you know, what do you, what do you think? Did, did Kevin Cash set the analytics movement in baseball back 20 years by this one decision? Yeah, like Dusty Baker will, will manage until he's 100 now, <laughs> Joe. He'll be, he'll be in demand. Uh, you know, Joe, I don't think that's going to change <clears throat> because I don't think the front offices are changing. All the front offices are younger, analytically driven. They've all, you know, they all have the same numbers. And they're the guys <clears throat> that pick the manager. So, I, you know, I think in the manager, you know, in, you know, we're thinking of old school managers, Whitey Herzog and, and Earl Weaver and guys like really kind of, you know, you didn't go into the, when you were the GM, you didn't go in the clubhouse, you know, with those guys. They ran, it, they, you know, they ran their, their own show. And um, with, uh, but that's not like that this anymore. You know, you, the manager is really, you know, you are kind of not subservient, but you, you listen to, if you want a manager's job, you listen to the, you're talking to the GM every day and he's down in your office every day. And his, he's got his analytical guys down there, give, pumping information into you, giving you, you know, reams and reams of, of stats. And, uh, you know, so, and, you know, they, discussing the lineup every day so you know well, it's just well, that, that won't wait, change wait. I don't think that changes unless the front offices change we've seen yeah. that with Terry Francona Chris Antonetti Mike Chernoff that's the that's the relationship that they have I mean how, how many hours do you think Antonetti spent on the on the couch in uh, in Tito's office I mean that just countless so you have it, it in order to be successful and win right now you have to have that relationship uh, you know, it's, it's not like it was when the, when the GMs just got you the players and stayed out of your way. That that's, there's a, there's sort of like a symbiosis here where, where the two sort of feed off of each other. And I think, uh, you know, as far as the Indians go, that's, that's what they have with, with Tito and Antonetti. So. Yeah. Uh, that, and you know, the first time, you know, I, when I started covering the Indians, Gabe Paul and Phil Seggy were kind of the front office and you never saw those guys in the, in the dugout in a, in the locker room, and it started to change when John Hart and uh, Danny O'Dowd were, were in the front office. They were in Hargrove's office a lot. They were always talking. They were in the locker room. And then, you know, then it when uh, Shapiro, and it just escalated, you know, from Shapiro, 
now to, to uh, uh, you know, uh, Antonetti. And it's, it's that's kind of relationship. And, you know, Tito's obviously pretty much an old school manager, but he's adjusted. And right. he's, you know, open, open. He's, you know, more like one of the things I thought Cash said last night was, hey, we're an organization that believes in information. You know, and 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 obviously he does, but sometimes that information will get you into trouble, and I think that's, that's what happened last night. Well, obviously not uh, information that comes from the pitcher who's in the game right now and who tells you, "Hey, I've got these guys." Uh, maybe maybe they need to believe in all information uh, if that's the case. Uh, so yeah, just you know, again, that one of the readers made a, a good point there. It wasn't just that. Um, you know, that, that decision to, to pull Snell that, that cost the, the Rays that game. The fact that this was a Rays offense that, you know, it was pretty much an all-or-nothing offense all year long. Uh, they didn't do the, the little things to uh, advance runners or, or take advantage when they had runners in scoring position, uh, which they did two or three times. They, they let the, the Dodgers off the hook a couple of times last night when they had the ability to go and increase their, their lead. Uh, they, they didn't knock Gonsolin out early. They, they sort of, uh, you know, uh, let him wiggle out of uh, runners on base. And, and if they had come through and scored there, you, you know, the decision might not have looked as bad as it did. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, they had a couple chances in the first two innings. And then that Dodger bullpen just, I mean, he, they just hammered them. They, they just shut them down. I mean, it was a good job by Dave Roberts. He you know, who, who always has gotten his fair share of criticism over the last four years. What, they've been to the World Series three of the last four years, I think. Right. And they, they finally win one. And um, But he, he, he was on his game last night, and he had the horses lined up. Uh, what they used, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven relievers, basically, in that game to, to win it. Well, and, and you knew once they got to that seventh reliever, Urias, uh, there, there was that that's it. He's the hammer. That's like bringing in yeah. a role. That's like bringing in a role as Chapman against the Indians in any playoff series. Uh, there, there's <laughs> and, not and much multiple innings. That's, you know, that's what's impressive about Urias is, yeah. you know, he can, he was a starter during the regular season, I guess, or kind of, you know, in and out. But so he's, he's got that ability and uh, that, they really used him well, I thought. Yeah. He, he really overwhelmed hitters uh, throughout the series. I, I, no surprise that Corey Seager was the the MVP, but if you look, uh, you know, in the games that the Dodgers won, uh, he was uh, Arias was certainly the uh, you know a valuable piece. Uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, you know the Dodgers were in it three times, or is their third in, in four years? Uh, they finally break through and win one. Uh, for guys like uh, like Corey Seager, like Clayton Kershaw, and and uh, we'll get to Justin Turner in a, in, a, in a moment here. But, uh, you know, this is a group that has, has been through it the last few years and, and finally comes through and, and wins one. Uh, boy, the Indians sure wish that, you know, it, it worked out where you, you keep a core group together and they go through a, a playoff run over a stretch of years and they finally get rewarded with a win. Uh, sure would have been nice for the same thing to happen for the Indians. Yeah, you know, I, I got a, uh, an email from a, a reader wondering uh, how many um, – how many players, how many Indians are still around from that 216 team, uh, 2016 team? And, I, you know, I think there's only maybe four or five, uh, you know, Lindor, Ramirez, uh, Perez, um, Lindor, Ramirez, Perez. Uh, there's, there was a couple other guys. Um, 
I think Adam Plutko made his big league debut that year, but wasn't in there. And Naquin, I think, was in there. Right. Uh, right. But, but, you know, that and, – and that, you know, you knew when they got to that point, you know, and didn't win it, that the changes were coming. And, and that, you know, obviously a team like the Indians is going to turn it over faster than a team like the Dodgers. Right. And so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's sort of what it means is, like, how hard it is to, to sustain – yeah. that much success over over even a, a three four year period of time uh it, it like you said it's easier when the dodgers have the payroll and the the sort of the financial means that they do uh but to to just be able to be that consistent uh i mean you're, you're talking about with tito uh now uh, what going into his his eighth or ninth year eighth year yeah yeah it'll be his eighth or ninth year with the indians uh, you know, they, they've gone from, you know, winning in 2013 to, you know, down, losing a couple of seasons, 2014-15, to up for three seasons and then down for a season. And now, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of this, this peak and valley sort of thing. That's unusual to be able to get back up to that top level, you know, more than once in a, in a stretch like that. Yeah. And what, they've, the Dodgers have won, uh, you know, eight straight division titles. You know, so that you're going to get a lot of chances if you win that. If you win that consistently, the the your players are going to. That's why a guy like Seager, who's pretty young, still a young guy, 27, has 10 postseason home runs. Think about that, Joe. I mean, that that's that's crazy that they have that. And that that's just not. You know, this year he had what eight or nine, eight this year. But you know, so he's been in a lot out of postseason, you know, situations. All those guys are really experienced. I mean, the bulk of that uh, Dodger team, you know, not too much is going to, you know, surprise them. I mean, this year obviously was was a lot different, a lot of different circumstances because of the virus. But those guys have a ton of postseason experience, and that goes a long, long way. Well, speaking of the virus, uh, it was interesting to, to see the, the reason why Justin Turner was removed from that game uh, it turns out that he had had a positive coronavirus test uh, and, and it was revealed, you know, just in the middle of the game, they actually pulled him in what, in, in like the sixth or seventh inning. They seventh, he, didn't, he didn't come out for the eighth inning. Yeah. And that, that has to be crushing for him not to be able to, you know, celebrate with his teammates in, in that way. You just, you just won the world series and, and you've got to stay away because uh, of the virus. But that was, he was the first, the first major league player in like the last 50 some days, 54 days to, to, to test positive. Uh, you know, when, when this whole, when the season and the idea of playing this season uh, started and, and even the, the bubble idea for the playoffs, uh, you know, there were still teams that you go back to St. Louis and, and Miami, there were teams that were getting, you know, crippled by this. Uh, but for the most part, major league baseball got a handle on, on the virus and, and was able to, to navigate through and, and complete a season and, and get it done before the election, which is what they, what their, their goal was. Yeah. They, and you know, they were right too. They, they predicted another spike in the virus around this time. That's why they didn't want to, you know, to get it done as fast as possible and or not. So they didn't play a longer regular season, but um, yeah. And uh, I think putting the postseason teams, you know, in the bubble, you know, and then moving it, to, uh, you know, the neutral sites in San Diego and Texas and, uh, what, Dodger Stadium, I think. And mm -hmm. so it worked. And, uh, you know, kudos to them. They got this thing done. And and uh, hopefully uh, Major League Baseball and, and all its fans don't have to uh, put up with this again next year. But the thing, the thing that surprises me, Joe, is 
So who sent this email to the Dodgers in the eighth inning? And, yeah. and was Turner was Turner playing? You know, this whole so how long was Turner playing this whole series? Well, but you, the, you never know when he when he contracted it. So I mean, he could have gotten it within the last couple of days. But it, he was definitely out there playing in the series with with the virus. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> He's breathing on. I'm, I, it would not surprise me to see a, a good number of. Uh, players on either team or umpires or officials at the at the site, you know, wind up testing positive within the next week or so uh, because of interaction with Justin Turner. Yeah, because he he came back out on the field after they they thought he was isolated. He came back out on the field. He was in the team picture. Oh, he geez. was you know shaking hands and hugging people. Sometimes he had a mask on. Sometimes he didn't. I mean, you know that that's that was so you know I guess okay you know the it's over you know finally but. But uh, oh, hey, everybody go get infected now. That's yeah, great. yeah, right. it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It was you know. strange, it was really, really strange. But you're right, hopefully, it doesn't happen that uh, this has to you know be the case next year. But but the chances are right now that you're going to be opening games, uh, maybe in April, uh, with, with no fans in the stands, anyways. So, uh, I can't see the things being returned back to normal by the time Major League Baseball is supposed to get things started again next year. I, I just don't see it happening. No, either do I. I this thing is just kind of off the charts, and it's spiking again. And, you know, I'm wondering, Joe, is this like college you know, college basketball or football when there's a, an ineligible player on the field playing? Do, do, the, do the Dodgers have to forfeit this, or can they uh, raise protest over, no. over uh, Turner being on the field? You know, because obviously he started the game with it, you know. And, right, but, but, get, he didn't, but he didn't know at the time that he was starting the yeah, game with it, so yeah. that, that can't be an issue. It was, like, so weird. It was, like – Major League Baseball, at the height of its game, you know, the, the best moment of the season, still can't get away from uh, COVID. Right. Uh, does the does COVID and does this whole situation in a bubble with no fans and short season, uh, does that take anything away from the Dodgers winning their first title since 1988? Not to me, Joe. I, I think, you know, I thought uh, um, Chris Antonetti summed this up very, very well at the uh, – after the, you know, in the 2020 review of the Indians, when he said, I know we only played 60 games, but it seems like we played 260 games. Mm-hmm. This has been a trial by fire, really. I mean, you just think about what we've covered here, Joe. Think about how many stories we've written about, you know, the spring training one, that ends March 12th. Then there's three and a half months of nothing, you know, just, you know, guys building mounds in their backyard. Then they come back for spring training too. That's like a three-week, you know, fire drill. And then the season starts. You get through that. You, the season almost ends when the Marlins and Cardinals have like, you know, half their teams test positive. They get through that. And then you go through four, not three rounds, but four rounds of postseason play, right? I think, right. yeah, I think, right. I think uh, they've played uh, Seager, I think the Dodgers may have played 18 or 19 games, postseason games. You know, that's what 30, 35% of the regular season in the postseason. So, you know, I think if you win this thing, you, you earned it and you deserve it. And the Dodgers obviously did deserve it. Right. Any team that navigates that, that whole set of circumstances was going to deserve some, some sort of recognition. Uh, and, and in the end, the, the best team in baseball, you know, through the regular season, 
the, the Dodgers prove themselves to be the best team in baseball and, and you know, they, they come out on top. So, uh, so now our, our focus sort of shifts towards uh, postseason stuff. I, I guess we're going to have as normal a postseason as we can. We're going to have awards. We're going to have, uh, you know, uh, sort of the hot stove discussions with, with trade possibilities and all that. And then we'll, we'll wait to see if, if we wind up back in Arizona for uh, spring training come, you know, February and March. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to have a, a winter meetings. Have you heard anything, Joe? I, nothing. I, I, I nothing at all. It, it it's possibility that the winter meetings take place virtually. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. How how are they going to work the lobby with that? How do you put a virtual <laughs> lobby? <laughs> you gonna, they're going to have Scott Boris standing on a staircase with a yeah, camera yeah. pointed at him and right. a Zoom call. That would be. You got to have some. You know, some bars that are still open till four o'clock, four a.m. You gotta, you gotta find a couple of those virtually, I guess. So, right, so well, wait, Hoinsy, you're saying that a lot of work gets done at these these winter meetings at bars? Is that what you're? Is that the message that you're sending here? I don't, I don't know about that. I, I just, I wonder. Uh, also, uh, with the World Series concluding, that means that uh, all the players who are eligible to become free agents now uh, certainly do. Uh, the Indians have three players who immediately became free agents this morning. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, Sandy Leone, and Oliver Perez. Uh, that means the 40-man roster is now at 37 players. Uh, there's a, a slew of Indians minor leaguers who also became uh, free agents today. Uh, probably the only notable one, Luke Wakamatsu, uh, an infielder who actually uh, appeared in a couple of uh, major league spring training games a few years ago. Uh, so not a lot of changes there, but we're expecting a lot more coming shortly, coming soon over the next couple of days. Uh, your information on guys who have contract options. Yeah. You know, uh, the Indians have, uh, Carlos Santana, uh, Roberto Perez, um, I'm missing somebody, uh, and Brad Hand. Yeah. So I think we'll, f we should find out at least probably by the end of the week, if what the Indians intentions are regarding those uh, options. I would think just, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, Joe. I don't think there's any, they, you know, for sure they're not picking up Santana's option, 17.5 million. Uh, but I think the probably, it's going to be curious if the Roberto Perez, $5.5 million option, is it within their reach? I, you know, that's, that's going to be a big clue to, uh, you know, just how, how bad off, they are financially, how much did the pandemic hurt them if, if they let him become a free agent or they pick that up? Yeah, my heart tells me that uh, they, they decline uh, Santana and Hand and that they pick up Perez. But my head tells me right now, I think maybe they decline all three. And, uh, and who knows? It, you've got Austin Hedges. Uh, he, made, he was awarded $3 million, or he settled for $3 million. Uh, before arbitration yeah, I think last he, year. Last year, so, yeah. So you're either locked into three million for Hedges or five point five for Perez. Uh, if if they're in a position where that uh, two and a half million dollars doesn't kill them, I, I think you, you. It's obvious you bring back Perez as the superior catcher, but but who knows? Uh, uh, it, it's it's it, if it's as bleak as Chris Antonetti said the the financial picture, then then it's it's going to make an interesting uh, rest of the week. All right, Hoinsey, we're going to wrap it up here uh, and be back again uh, tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday 
on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast, and we'll hopefully have a little more clarity on those, uh, those contract options.